This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston. Every year in Australia, 27,000 babies are born premature. And around 48,000 newborns require the help of a neonatal intensive care unit, NICU, or special care nursery. And up to 1,000 babies lose their fight for life. What a devastating time for families. Those babies and their fight for life is incredible. And can you just imagine the overwhelm of emotions for their families, trying to grapple with the technology that might be keeping their baby alive, the risk of losing that baby, and even the speed in which you've just suddenly become a parent. An hour after my meeting finished, or maybe about two hours, I had the babies and they were out in the world. And my husband was very shocked. He was saying one minute I was asleep and the next moment I have two sons. A while ago on Baby Talk I spoke to a neonatal intensive care specialist, paediatrician Dr Peter Courts, who's the Director of Neonatology at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. He gave us an idea of the sort of odds these babies are fighting against and some of the gains medicine has made in the last 25 years. Really small babies, some down to 500 grams, any sort of error, anything could make a big difference. So if you can get a baby through that first neonatal period, they've got the rest of their lives to to live and to be productive. I think we've been getting just sort of slowly better at, at what we do and, and able to make more smaller and more premature babies survive. Yeah, so there's a lot of technology that have come in in the last 20, 25 years. I guess the 25 years prior to that, there'd been enormous changes. And you know, neonatology is a very sort of young field, if you look at it. So we've been rapidly progressing, I think. Yeah, I guess it depends on how far you think you can go in the future. But 25 years ago, we couldn't save as small a baby as we could now. What's your biggest challenge with a baby that's born too early? I think it's the failure to be able to replicate the womb outside of the womb, if you like. All of what we're doing is just trying to kind of approximate what the baby would have had in the womb. You know, there there are medications to help the lungs, and that was probably in the last sort of 30, 40 years, one of the biggest changes in neonatology is a thing called surfactant, where we know if a baby gets born preterm, they are lacking in the substance in their lungs that basically keep their lung buds open when they exhale and kind of reduce their work of breathing. And if they don't have that surfactant because they're born preterm or they can't make enough, they need a, a, a lot of respiratory support and you know a lot of a lot of kids ended up dying. President John F. Kennedy's one baby died at 34, 35 weeks because in the 60s because they just didn't have the technology to save them. The other thing that's been massive and has taken a while to kind of take off is giving mothers steroids before they deliver preterm because that steroids get to the baby and that basically just prepares them for ex-utero life. So it, it matures their lungs a little bit, it um, stabilizes their brains, their guts. So a, a baby who's had antenatal steroids makes probably a huge difference. They survive in a better condition and they're much easier for us to manage. But for us, it probably depends on the size of the baby. If you're looking at a really small 23-weeker, the immediate issue would be the lungs because they are extremely immature, not developed 
They need uh, a lot of support to get going, to keep going. And then basically all the other organ systems need attention. Yeah, and that's where we come in with all the particulars, with incubators and ventilators and different ways of feeding them. What do you see in the future? Because you're talking about 23 weekers surviving you know, 10 years ago nearly. When my baby was born, it was 25 weeks was the cutoff. Is that date shifting or that week cutoff becoming earlier that babies are able to survive? It's a good question, and I, I guess it depends on who you talk to. Again, mere survival is probably not the aim. It's intact survival. We're still not very good at intact survival at 23, 24 weeks. We're getting better at it. And you're right, you know, five or 10 years or 15 years ago, 25, 24 would have been difficult. In Queensland, we certainly don't resuscitate less than 23 weeks. And I know in some other states, they're starting to do that. And, you know, whether that's a right thing or a wrong thing is a difficult one to, to answer. That's Dr. Peter Courts, Director of Neonatology at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. So this week we're taking a look at how a baby's early arrival can affect a family and an organisation that's doing something to help. Kylie Pussell is the co-founder of the Miracle Babies Foundation. Kylie has three surviving children, two of whom were born premature. She lost a twin boy after two days as he and his sister were born at just 25 weeks. It's hard to imagine that you would have any spare time to consider helping anyone else in the same situation. But Kylie, that's exactly what you were asked to do. And yeah, I got a call from a friend who I'd met in the hospital with my first surviving child to come and meet with a bunch of mums who wanted to do something to give back to the unit at Liverpool where we had our babies. So went along to this meeting, not really knowing anyone else and met everyone else and our founder, Melinda Cruz, who after having her son at 27 weeks, felt really, you know, alone and isolated, especially after discharge and wanted to stay in touch and connected with other families that had been through the experience of a prematurosic baby. So, so yeah, she contacted the hospital and the hospital and, and people that had been through the unit, as in my case, brought us together. And we all jumped on board and wanted to be able to support others and, and then started exploring our own experiences and what gaps and what things we found that we would have liked to have had or needed during that time in hospital mm-hmm. and in those early years as well. Can you give us an idea of, of what it was like when you were going through that experience on your own? Yeah, it's really quite terrifying. And I use the word, you know, lonely and isolated there before, but it's definitely quite true especially if you're you know around similar ages to a lot of your friends having children and you're the one that that is having that you know really tough experience of having a premature or sick newborn it's really hard to I guess sort of explain to you know friends with little ones that are pregnant and that what you're kind of going through so you kind of well I found I did anyway I kind of just stepped back a little bit I didn't want other people upset I didn't want to you know have me upset so really kind of just put myself in a little bubble and tried to cope with each day but what I did find especially with Madeline in the hospital was I met some other parents who were going through it and you know and today 19 years on we're lifelong friends that peer support and connection is so important you didn't have just one premature birth you had two didn't you Yes, that's right. I'd had some losses. And then when I had my first born, Madeline, she arrived at 30 weeks. 
um, I'd been on bed rest with her pregnancy for eight weeks from 22, where I had an emergency stitch put in my cervix. So it was definitely, you know, definitely a new experience for us. We hadn't really had anything to do with that kind of environment before. So it was all quite new. And then, um, then the second time around, I was having twins and similar experience with my body and, and my cervix. And yeah, ended up back in hospital again at 22 weeks. But I did go into labour at 25 weeks. So it was two very different experiences, different gestations. You know, I was in a different place when my twins were born at 25 weeks. Both were resuscitated at birth and um, Scarlett weighed 645 grams and Marcus weighed 780. And we were obviously very worried about both of them. But um, it was on day two when I got taken to the NICU that Marcus was was really definitely struggling and he passed away later that day due to complications of his extreme prematurity. Oh, it's going through that again. I mean, there's a sort of a bit of a blissful ignorance the first time around almost, but then to go through it a second, you you couldn't face another pregnancy the same way, could you? No, I think for me, every pregnancy has been petrifying since kind of my first until we did get some answers around why I couldn't carry the pregnancies long or to term and getting a diagnosis of cervical incompetence. What a term. What a term that is. It's not nice, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Not nice at all. I don't like saying the words, but that's what it is. You're perfectly fine. You're serving. Incompetent. And no good. Yeah, no good. It was just so isolating. I think I don't think I can say that enough. That second time around being in there and also now being the bereaved parent, Mm. you know, you're kind of... I didn't connect with people. I didn't find it easy. And, and it's really hard to sit across from, you know, other mums expressing breast milk and they're going through their own traumas and things. So it wasn't something that you would, that I would put out there to talk about. So yeah, it was really hard during that, that next experience. I wonder whether you do have an interesting reaction when you meet a new parent that just delivered a one of these tiny little premature babies you realize what's ahead of them I mean so many of us with all parenting stuff you sort of live in the moment but you kind of look at people and know what's ahead of them and know sometimes it's going to be a harder road ahead you would meet parents in the very new stage of having a premature baby and yet you know there's there's such a road ahead of it for them how do you deal with that Yeah, definitely. We run support programs in hospitals. So the families are there with their baby currently receiving the care. And when we speak to those families, I know myself, it's always about checking in and see how they're doing today at that moment. Because, you know, in the NICU, there there are ups and downs, there are good days, there are bad days, and that can sort of roll up and down in one day. So it's, it's so important to talk to them and kind of keep them there in that moment. Because you can't think ahead like you know it's most of the time we're in shock we're trying to cope with what's happening in that you know instant or in that moment so regular check-ins and checking in on them and and helping them celebrate the good milestones that happen but also being there to let them talk about and share and process those really difficult times as well. What are some of the things that you do with Miracle Babies that perhaps would have been massively helpful for you as a, a new premature parent? For me, I think definitely something that I would have loved when I was in um, a hospital with my babies is what we do in our nurture time, which is our in-hospital family support. And that's where someone comes around and talks to the parents. And it's one-on-one, so it really does create that private moment that you can share with someone that's there to support you. So they're not actually in that experience at the same time with you. So that's definitely something that I I think I really would have benefited from. The obvious assistance that you give is while parents are still looking after babies, 
babies in hospital. But then there's an ongoing role for that peer support and knowing someone to turn to when the babies get older because there's a lot of sometimes there can be a lot of developmental assistance that's needed for these little babes. Definitely. These babies, the earlier they're born or the more challenges they have at birth, definitely puts them at a higher risk for several things, especially later in life. You know, during schooling years, there's learning challenges, behavioural difficulties, concentration. You know, some of them have problems with social, speech, physio, movement, all of those things. So there's definitely a way to go in how we, you know, improve support for these families over the years. It's not just about that tick of survival and leaving hospital. It's also about how can we help them access support? How can we educate them? How can we then help educate the children as they they become adolescents to also look after their health and keep talking about their birth story because more evidence is coming out in Australia and internationally about the longer term outcomes and how we need to better support these children as they become adolescents themselves. And there's also a bit of advocacy needed as well because the one thing that I've noticed about parents of preemie babies that they're now starting to be really quite fierce about talking about adjusted age as well, not just the child's birth age. Yes, so something when I went through my experience, we called it um, corrected age. So you had your child's birth age when they were actually born, but then you had the corrected age of when they should have been born. So their milestones actually go on their corrected age and when they should be doing things. So, yeah, it's it's hard for some people to get their head around and it's like, okay, baby might be eight months old, but if they were four months old, they're actually only really a four, like a four-month-old newborn. So, yeah, it's taking away that time, even though they were here earlier, they still should have been, you know, in mummy's, in mummy's tummy and that's where, you know, those that development is different. Is that something that parents really do need to take into consideration when they're doing things like sending children off to school or starting them in a kinder age group? I think it depends on the child individually as to how they've coped throughout those early and toddler years with hitting their milestones, if they have been a bit delayed, if they've been on time. And some of them may correct themselves over the first few years to actually then, you know, after, you know, two or three years, actually be meeting milestones according to their birth age. So not all of them will go on to have these challenges later on. But it is something that we need to encourage people to talk about their birth story because there are things that it could it can have an impact throughout their life. These days, if you've got any reason to seek extra help from a health professional, say like a child psychologist, it's interesting that they do want a lot of detail about your child's birth story and that does include whether they were born preterm. Yes, I think that's a really good improvement that where, you know, doctors are talking about the birth story again and even later on in those toddler and school years because it, it can, as I said, can have that impact. And for you yourself, you know, you were born prem, as you mentioned, but then well, does that mean I'll have a premature baby? Like there's so many unknown and scary factors out there once, you know, you have someone in your family go through the experience and, and helping to support them. We can only do through educating ourselves in the community. That's true. It is a month where you're asking people to put their hands in their pockets to help you guys because this is a a service while it's it's fabulous and there are so many volunteers that are part of it, it's not entirely cheap or free. So how can people help you out? Please jump online and make a donation, miraclebabies.org.au. There are 48,000 babies in Australia every year that need specialised medical help. And then as we talked about, you know, the things that are ongoing after discharge. So it's a lot of families that need help. 
and it is free for families. We always decided from the start that we never wanted to have a family have to pay to get support or not be able to access support because they couldn't afford it. We work really hard with our corporate partners, Tommy Teepee on board, many others, and our communities to keep raising funds so that we can you know, help more families. Kylie Pussell is the co-founder of the Miracle Babies Foundation and a new member of that incredible club is our next guest on Baby Talk. Amy Batananya is one of the latest inductees into the Miracle Babies family. She's the mother of very new twin boys. Yeah, um, so I have twin boys. One is Ruslan and the other is Maxim. They're seven months old now, which is four months corrected, which is the age that they would be if they were born on time. So I have to do two ages all the time. And they're right now they're in the house with my husband on his lunch break. But yeah, we're just at home most of the time. And yeah. Fantastic. So when you give such a big difference in corrected age, that sort of tells us the story that their arrival was not an easy one. No, it wasn't. I was 26 weeks pregnant. I'd just gotten married about two weeks before that and on the exact day that I was 26 weeks pregnant with them in the morning I was working and I had meetings and after my meeting finished in the morning at about 9am I started having severe back pain and I rang the hospital and they told me that I should come in and get it looked at. My husband and I went to the hospital and in the time that it took to, for us to get to the hospital, I was in, I was having very, a lot of contractions and he was in a lot of pain in the car. But by the time we got there, I was actually fully dilated and the babies were ready to come out and they took me in for an emergency C-section because they were both breech at the time. So then, yeah, about an hour after my meeting finished or maybe about two hours, I had the babies and they were out in the world and my husband was very shocked. He was saying, one minute I was asleep and the next moment I have two sons. (laughs) Yeah, but 26 weeks is very early to have a baby. Yeah, they they were very early. It's considered extreme prematurity if it's under, I think it's under 32 weeks is extreme prematurity. Yeah, it was not very expected at all. We hadn't done any parenting classes or anything like that. So. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. twins, you didn't have anything ready? We, I actually was very prepared and I had everything ready. So <laughs> the cots were ready at home and everything, but it didn't matter because they didn't come home for about three and a half months anyway. So. Oh, my goodness. So yes. did, did you have time to be afraid of what was going, to, what was going on? Not really, and I was in a lot of pain from contractions. I didn't really expect that, but I should have. But it uh, it all just happened so quickly. We just didn't have time to think about anything, and even following the following couple of weeks, we just had no idea what was happening. It was just chaos all the time <laughs> since they've been born. So. 
Yeah, well, and for people that are just going, oh, yeah, you know, they're a bit bit early, would have been really traumatic, would have been shocking, but tell me what it is like to be a mum when you've got those little tiny people in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. What was it like for you, those three and a half months? Well, at the beginning, they're just... They're so small. Like I put my wedding ring next to their hand and it was, it's like my wedding ring was bigger than their hand. They were just very tiny and very red and they just didn't really look like proper sized babies. And it was very confronting. And for the first week that I saw them, I just cried whenever I saw them. But after a while, you kind of get used to it and you can't start seeing like, little things that indicate that they've got a personality in their little, tiny little bodies. And you just, the hospital staff, they teach you everything about them. They just basically give you a rundown course on being a nurse in the hospital and teach you all about all the machines they're hooked up to. And yeah, it's just, it is incredibly confronting though. They're very tiny and once you get to actually hold them, which took about a week or so for us, maybe a bit longer, it was you were holding them and you were just afraid that they would break. It's, yeah, they're just very tiny. So. Yeah, I can imagine it would have been terrible, really difficult for you. Now, the, the Miracle Babies Foundation, how helpful have they been? They've been great. When I first had the babies they automatically had a pack ready for me and it had so much information in there and there was I'd read everything that they gave me and they also gave me like a cooler bag for my milk which I would never have thought of but I used it every day and they've just been great and the biggest thing with them is all the stories of other mums who'd been through the same thing and seeing their babies grown up has just been the most helpful of everything to me throughout this whole time. So, And what was the big lesson that you learned about that experience? I mean, what would be the thing that you would, if you knew a friend was about to have a preemie baby, what is a good bit of advice for them? There's not really much that can prepare you for it. So the biggest piece of advice that I would give anyone is just to remember like every day that and be grateful that they're actually alive and they're there because it could be so much worse. It's just such a big risk having them that early and it can't be controlled. But it's just to remember all the time and through everything that's going on, just be grateful that they're there. That's the only real advice that I can give everything else. You just have to deal with as it comes along, unfortunately. So, And what was it like uh, heading home from hospital to finally have those boys home? Uh, it was, yeah, it was great. I actually had one of my sons came home a week, uh, about a couple of days before the other. That was very difficult because I had... I brought one son home and the other one was still at hospital and just it broke my heart leaving him there. But thankfully he wasn't separated very long. But once they were home, I was just so glad and 
I love the hospital for saving them, but I don't ever really want to go back there. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so do you see that you'll have a bit more of an ongoing relationship with the Miracle Babies Foundation going forward? Do you think that they're going to be helpful? Yeah, I love reading like all the stories on Facebook that they post all the time. It's just great seeing other people going through the same thing and I shared my own story there to help other people as well and I'm actually participating in the Move for Miracles fundraiser that they're having in May. I'm just trying to give back a bit. So yeah, I guess it's really important because it's a sort of organisation that you don't know how important it's going to be to you until you suddenly need them. No, definitely. I've never heard of them beforehand and now I'm just so grateful that they were there. Amy Batananya, one of the latest members of the Miracle Babies Foundation family, relying on the support that this group can provide. Having a baby come into the world, not as expected or planned, as you can imagine, is life-changing. Without support, this overwhelming and sometimes traumatic experience can have a lifelong effect on the emotional well-being of these miracle families. So the Miracle Babies Foundation has been providing programs and support to parents since 2005. May is their fundraising month. And if you think you might be able to help this organization, please follow the link you'll find on the Baby Talk website, where you'll also find last week's fascinating podcast that shows that Australia's 40 plus years of IVF babies are doing quite okay, thank you. They're doing at least as well as their regularly conceived cohort. It is staggering to see that there is absolutely no difference. And also, it's, it, was, it was such a delight doing these assessments on these IVF children. Sort of, we, we looked at them from 13 through to 20 years of age, and they're just a credit to their parents. It was just so marvellous to sort of see these children, the, and obviously the mum had gone through so much to have them, you know, way back at the end of the 90s. And it was just marvellous, marvellous to do this study. And obviously, it's a very reassuring outcome. That podcast and many others are available on the Baby Talk website and on the ABC Listen app and pretty much everywhere else you find podcasts these days. I'm Penny Johnston. I'll see you next time on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.